0: I think I've shared this story before, it's, it's just that good, I guess, of a, of a team of researchers that were trying to get a better understanding of what 2 plus 2 could possibly mean. So they brought in an engineer, and they said, "What is 2 plus 2 equal out to? And he said, well, considering all the variables that could take place, I'd say it's always 4. 4. So they decided to bring in an architect and ask him, what does 2 plus 2 equal out to? And he says, well, it's 4. But there's so many other ways that you could get there. I mean, you could do 1 plus 3 and, and, and per, put it in perfect just, juxtaposition with 3 plus 1. You could, ma- say, even, even go outside of the box and go to 2 times 2 and make it even prettier. Just turning the plus sign on its edge. Think about all the possibilities. And the third that they bring in is an attorney asking him, what does 2 plus 2 equal out to? And he looked at him, kind of got a smirk on his face, closed the door and sat back down and said, let's talk about what you want it to equal out to. We have seen such a drastic shift in our moral understanding of what is truth and, and the ideas that stand the test of time in our culture, that it, would, it would, does not surprise us at all if there are ideas out there like two plus two doesn't have to equal four unless your background and your experience says it does. We have seen such, such shifts in our culture that if someone were to wake up from a five-year coma, they'd have to wonder what world they were transported into, especially in the sense of morality. Uh, Professors that wrote essays about the importance of protecting women's rights just two years ago have had to come out and apologize for talking about women getting pregnant rather than pregnant people. Because, of course, in our world's philosophy today, well, so in certain conditions, men can get pregnant too, right? Our society was set loose to pursue death as a greater good when it decided that truth is relative. For even mothers to come out and say, whether it, what, as it used to be called women's health care, as it used to be called women's rights, for even mothers to come out and say, it is very important for me to have the option to abort my child. Those are terms that not even those that were proponents of it were willing to use. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this guy's name, but Jay Bujidzevsky writes this, if all meaning were relative... Then the meanings of the term in the proposition, all meaning is relative, would be relative. Therefore, the proposition, all meaning is relative, destroys itself and is nothing but an evasion of reality. That seems to be a high price to pay, even for the privilege of killing people. What is the meaning of a child? What is the meaning of life? If you can change that, you've earned the privilege of even killing people. To make, truth, to make a truth claim that there is no truth is as if to say there is no language or to write out there is no writing. If you're going to actually say it's true that there is no truth. This is the world we live in though. You know, the hardest target to hit is a moving target, especially an erratically moving target. Imagine aiming for a target that someone else shot at and hit 2,000 years ago. You need to know that that target stands still, that that target not only stands still, it stands as a beacon for us to be able to set our lives by like a north star before us this is a danger of detaching life from the idea that there is no ultimate truth that we are to live by and as followers of christ we can take comfort in the fact that we can have an unchanging faith in our unchanging savior that is what we are called to have. That is what we have been given that the world that we live in is trying to get us to believe that we do not have an unchanging faith in an unchanging Savior. The readers of the, this letter to the Hebrews were challenged to remember this. When they're told in chapters 13, verse 7 through 9, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. Which have not benefited those who are devoted to them. The main idea that we are looking at here this morning is that we are to follow the lead of those who put their faith in our unchanging Savior so that you won't be led away into legalistic spirituality. What we are being offered by this world is a legalistic spirituality. We face pressures to compromise our thinking on matters that have been standing firm ever since creation. These readers as well were tempted to compromise what they had only realized, and that is that Jesus is our Messiah. Jesus is their Messiah. Their temptation was to return back to the comfort of their Jewish family and their Jewish friends who were still waiting for the Messiah. To simply say, okay, this Jesus guy, he isn't the Savior. Great, I get welcomed back into my Jewish roots, my Jewish family, my Jewish friends. I can have people coming to my business again. I can have my livelihood returned to me. These were the pressures that these people were facing, and this was the encouragement that they were given, how to stand firm in our verses. But the message of this passage is the same both for them and for you. The message can encourage us that there are unchangeable truths that we can cling to, and those truths point us to our unchangeable Savior. Our passage first encourages you to stick with the faith that led you to Christ. He starts out talking about their leaders. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. But then what are you to imitate? Their faith. These leaders that are described here would be defined as those who were put into a supervisory capacity over them, their guides. This term also translates to. The same term is used by Jesus instructing his disciples on servant leadership when he says in Luke 22 verse 26, "Let the greatest among you become as the youngest and let the leader as the one who serves." The same term is used in the prophecy quoted by Christ about the Messiah coming from Bethlehem. Matthew 2:6 for some for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel these leaders were their guides their rulers their those who were had been placed over them by the lord likely that had come to jesus as their messiah as hebrew christians prior to the readers here we can assume about these leaders that they were they were there but they were only able to be remembered. They were not there any longer. They're told, keep them in mind. Think of them. They spoke the word of God to the readers. They were, their faith was fueled by and founded on God's word, not their own wisdom. And it's true, their outcome, whether they were in prison at this point or they had passed away into eternity, the outcome of their faith was to be considered. It was to be observed attentively. It was their continued faith in Jesus as their Savior. That's what was to be imitated as a model for them to the, the readers to, to live off of. And their faith was worthy to be imitated. They weren't to imitate their actions. They weren't to imitate their personality. They were to imitate their faith. He's saying continue to recall those who led and discipled you by speaking God's word to you. Make careful observation of the outcome of the way of their life. Their faith continued to the end. And use their life of faith as a model for your own. Anybody remember the game that used to be on all our computers, Minesweeper? Right? You could choose how big of a board you wanted and how many squares. And so you had to, you had to sit there and click on a square and see if, if there was a mine underneath it. And then you had to click on another one. And, you, and, and the whole idea was to try to clear out the whole board In order to, uh, and just clicking on and marking the mines and hopefully not blow up by clicking on a mine, you know, that sort of thing. Now obviously, if you were learning from somebody as they're going through that um, and learning how to play this game, you wouldn't sit there and go, okay, the first one they clicked on was the bottom right, you know, two down, three to the left. Because the, 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 the board would change each time you played it. So obviously you wouldn't sit there and just click on the same squares they clicked on. You'd learn from how they went about making those decisions of where they were going to click on that. If you don't know the game, I'm sorry. It's probably not helpful at all. In the same way, these told and we these readers are told and we are told, it's not about, okay, well, this person that discipled me or my parents, they were at church every time the doors were open. That's what you should do. You know, but it may be that what they had was a faith that told them what's important in life is to be about what God's people are to be about. That's more important than the approval of the world. It's the faith of those who went before us, not necessarily their specific actions, although we should look at the actions and evaluate our own by them. We're not to imitate the actions of those who have impacted us for Christ. We're to impact, be impacted by the faith that they had in Christ. I've shared with you my youth pastor that I had growing up. Now I learned recently that he, he passed away from cancer. I've listened to some of those last messages that he gave. I've looked at him as one who has passed through that veil into eternity with a strong, vibrant faith. I remember, I've remembered things that he has said, like the fact that it is easier to die well when you have lived well. That makes a difference when you hear that from one who has impacted you and stands on the brink of eternity, their body about to finally give out to its cancer. The faith that we hopefully that has been handed down to us is a faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that person who, by God's power, by God's, by being the very God Himself, by the payment of His life on that cross, was able to pay our debt of sin. You know, my, my brother-in-law, who's a worship leader, uh, he, he shared with us, he says that somewhere throughout uh, the country, there are worship leaders trying to switch out their songs so they don't have to have the one that says, oh, praise the one who paid my debt. Because I don't know if you're aware of what's going on in our country right now. Paying off of debt isn't necessarily all that popular. But let me just explain a little bit of a difference here. It's not right for one man to decide that debt, that $300 billion that is owed to the American taxpayer, you don't have to pay it. What's not right about that is because it's not owed to him. It's owed to somebody else. But we owed a debt that we could not pay because of our sin. And we owed that debt to God because of his righteousness as our creator. He paid the debt. He paid the debt we owed to him. He paid it with the death of God himself, his son. He, the one who we owed the debt to, he canceled that debt. At great cost to himself because Jesus took the penalty of our sins on the cross. That is a very different situation. And the faith that is to be emulated, the faith that we are to follow is a faith in Christ as our Savior. As the one who paid the debt for our sins so that God could both be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Because the debt itself was paid. Many of you look on and think of Glenn McFarlane. And think of who Glenn thankfully is still with us. But Jim Spencer. Who is no longer with us. You think of George Markey. Men who impacted you. In your walk with Christ. Or you think of someone else who has had a great impact on a walk with Christ. In a faith in the fact that Christ is their righteousness. Righteousness. How are you doing in picking up the torch and imitating the faith? I'm not talking about the actions. I'm talking about the faith of those men and women. Those of you who stand as a patriarch or a matriarch of your family, once again, let me encourage you. Let me challenge you. That is, as the old person in your family, It is not as if you have lost your usefulness in your age. That is what the world wants to tell you. Standing firm in your faith in Christ, despite the cultural pressures, is essential for your families. Sadly, I have seen entire families set adrift in the culture, uh, in the current of our culture. And the last straw was when the older generation decided to just go with the flow. They just decided, well, you know, if my grandchild loves somebody, who am I to tell them that they shouldn't love someone of their own gender? If my grandchild decides to move in with their boyfriend or with their girlfriend, who am I to say anything to them? Young people are just going to do what they're going to do, right? They're just sowing their wild oats. You just got to accept it. Patriarchs and matriarchs, you stand as an important rock in the, cur- the stream of the rushing current of our culture. And young people are just, they need you. As Johnny Erickson Tata says, as describing the world that our young people are living in, gradually the unthinkable becomes tolerable, then acceptable, then legal, then praised. How much have we seen in the last five years that fit into that? It's, It's vital that we don't go with it. Private faith Quiet faith, it does not cut it. Don't leave your kids or your grandkids thinking, I want to be quiet and peaceful like my grandfather was. Leave them knowing who it is that you have put your hope in. The person of Jesus Christ. Those that should be remembered for their faith are those remember who spoke the word of God to us. Church leaders and pastors, we come and go. The positive impact of our ministry or their ministry, it's based on whether or not they pointed others to Jesus. And this is because Jesus doesn't change. Jesus does not come and go. And of course, central to sticking with Jesus involves realizing that he is not going anywhere. And that's why we're told next, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Stick with your unchanging Savior. Anyone's relationship with God has hung on the fact that God doesn't change. When he talks all over the Psalms and the Old Testament about his steadfast love, it is for those who he has covenanted with. His steadfast love is his covenant love. God spoke about his steadfast love in this way. To his privileged people of the Old Testament, he says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Because they're so wonderful? No, because he doesn't change. Because he had made a covenant with them. And he was going to stick with his covenant. There's something we don't really notice about this statement about Jesus. He's basically saying Jesus is being being given here the title of Christ or Messiah. Christ is not his last name. He's saying Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. He's basically saying Jesus is our anointed Savior yesterday and today and forever. He is the answer yesterday and today and forever. Forever, He is that bridge between us and God, yesterday and today and forever. Jesus himself told us this over and over again. And he says in John 8, 24, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, meaning I am the Messiah, I am the Savior, you will die in your sins. He proclaimed that he transcended history. In John eight fifty eight. When he said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. We, we've talked about Jesus being Lord yesterday in his cre- in active, in creation. We saw this in Hebrews 1 verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed both the heir of all through things and through whom he also created the world. He is is Lord and Savior today offering salvation. And we were told in Hebrews 4 verse 7, fulfilling the call to take our rest in Jesus where he says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He, Jesus today, is still calling for people to come to faith in him as Savior. He is Lord and Savior forever, reigning, enthroned in heaven as we saw in Hebrews 1 verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the Jesus that is ruling forever. And at the same the same is true for us as it was for those who went before us. Jesus is the Messiah. And is such, yesterday and today and forever, no matter how the world responds to him. I read about a pastor who was resigning from his church. And one uh, parishioner came up to him and said, I don't see how. I am going to make it without you. I depend on you so much for my spiritual help. The reply from the pastor kind of shocked the man. When he said, then the sooner I leave, the better. Because the sooner I leave, the the sooner you're going to start depending on Christ and not on me. We can take heart as we seek to imitate the faith of those who impacted us. We can take heart in the fact that Jesus is the unchanging Christ, the Messiah that we worship and that we are to share with others. We can take heart as we disciple and prepare to leave the Christians that come after us. It's the same Jesus that can keep them strong in their faith and protect them through persecution. Just as these readers were being encouraged. You know, I heard a new term, a new category of churches uh, a couple weeks ago a category and I, I don't mean to be judgmental here but if 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 churches are leaving the unchangeable Christ and replacing him with something else I think we need to say it for what it is the term for for these churches is goat farms you know why they're called goat farms because one day Jesus is going to come and separate the sheep from the goats. And too many churches are tending the goats by watering down the message of who Jesus is. Imitating others' strong faith in the unchanging Jesus Christ should lead us to stick with the grace of the gospel. You've got to go somewhere strange here. He says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Then he says, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. It's kind of interesting. He's contrasting. Look at the outcome of these people of faith. Look at the outcome of their life. And then notice the, the legalism of avoiding certain foods and, and such. It hasn't benefited those who devoted themselves. To that form of legalism. We're to remember those. In verse 7 we are to remember those who led us in a closer relationship with God. And we'll see in verse 13 that we are to obey our present leaders. But here we're warned not to be led away. By strange and diverse teachings. This is a different term altogether. It means to be, to be pulled away. Peeled off if you will. From the very beginning of the church, and I, and I think we can take some comfort in this fact. From the very beginning of the church, 2,000 years ago, there were teachings that were strange or alien to the culture. These teachings diverted from Jesus being the Christ by arguing him for being something kind of in between. <clears throat> Not really the God-man. Some of them within the first century were kind of like, okay, so Jesus is the Savior and, and he was really special and he, and he was God at one point. <clears throat> but when he was born, he wasn't God. He was a normal man, but then he became God and he became the Savior. You see, that was right within the first century after Jesus departed. These something-in-betweens made Jesus a prophet, a great teacher, a misunderstood guru, but not the God-man who's the Messiah. These ideas always lean toward eliminating the power and the person and the work of Jesus. And guess who they leave the power with? Us. The power to to earn or to manipulate or or to to draw God's attention to us by by the things that we do to try to impress him. They leave the people's actions or works of the flesh as if they have saving power. But an understanding of just how sinful we are reminds us of the fact that we cannot fix ourselves with works. So why is food mentioned here? It's not the things outside of us that defile us, like eating the wrong food. This was common among the Jews, you know, like eating something that's not kosher. But Jesus addressed the same kind of thinking in Matthew 15 when he says in verses 11 and 11, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Or as he says in verses 17 through 19, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? That's probably more information than we need. But, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. The truth is this. The evil is not in that thing out there that I better avoid. The evil is in here. That, pro, that, that if something is evil out there, it's the draw in me that I need to watch out for. My desire for it is where I need to start. The solution is that, it's as it says, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. To be strengthened means to put something beyond doubt, confirmed, established, Like, like, like the buttresses that they would build alongside of a cathedral wall that needed strengthening to establish that wall. It is good for us to be strengthened and better established by grace, by our understanding of the gospel. By reminding ourselves of what is the basis of our relationship with God. Our hearts need to be confirmed and strengthened by the grace of the gospel. Not reassurance of our good works. Keep in yourself, keep yourself in the gospel rather than being led away by different alien teaching. The reason is because you need to be strengthened and established. By grace, not rituals. You need to be reminded of the gospel of grace more than a resolution of, I'll never do that again. You know what? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to cross my heart and hope to die. I'm going to grip my teeth. I'm going I'm to you know, set my alarm clock a little bit earlier and do push-ups so that, you know, I, I don't know. What we need is to be strengthened and reminded of the basis of our relationship with God. These reach, ritualistic avoidances like, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not going to eat that. They have no benefit. You know, th- think of all the Friday fish fries that people have, have attended. Because for some reason there was something wrong with eating meat on Fridays. You know, when I, when I grew up, I mean, this isn't on a religious side of it, but... Um, it was good luck to eat grits for your first meal on New Year's Day. We just attach those things. But uh, religiously, we do the same. Well, I'm, I'm righteous because I don't do that, but, and I do this. We went through a whole pandemic of this, folks, of, of a polarization of self-righteousness of people that are some of the most unreligious people in the world saying, I am righteous because I do these things or I think these things and I don't do those things and I don't think those things. On both sides. Self-righteousness can become really violent really quick. But as long as we live in these fleshly bodies, people are going to reach out for fleshly methods of salvation. People are going to pursue religious answers rather than a relationship with God. Jay Budzikiewski also says this. And he's talking about how people tend to shortchange repentance with religious things. He says the normal outlet of remorse is to flee from wrong. We flee not from wrong, but from thinking about it. We compulsively confess every detail of our story except the moral part. We punish ourselves again and again, offering every sacrifice except the one demanded. We simulate the restoration of broken intimacy by seeking companions as guilty as ourselves. And we seek not to become just, but to justify ourselves. In our fleshly religious pursuits, people are always going to clamor for something physical, something that says, like, like, okay, what makes me stand righteous before God? It's that I don't eat this. Or I don't do that. Right? Do eat this, or I do eat do that. There's countless religious ideas out there that people offer in order for people to think they have absolution from sin without forgiveness. And forgiveness only comes by the same way that we were told of 2,000 years ago. It comes through our unchanging Savior, Jesus Christ. What's crazy about this day and age is like never before, we have more people in the, in the United States that consider themselves nuns, N-O-N-E-S, okay? Meaning they have no religious affiliation. While at the same time, how religious people say they are has not declined. So America considers itself religious but without associating themselves with any organized religion. It, you could call that spirituality. But, but the, the, what's really going on here, and sadly what's going on in evangelical circles, is people consider themselves spiritual, but it is completely disconnected from the authority of Scripture. It is completely disconnected from absolute truth. They're taking one of those Jesuses that says, well, I like this Jesus, but it's not the true Jesus. You know, when I dropped my son off at uh, uh, University of Evansville, one of the last conversations we had was I shared with him, I said, Emmett, every philosophy, every idea, every answer that you are offered here, I want to encourage you to run it through this one statement. People are sinful in need of salvation. You're going to hear people are oppressed and they are in need of a hand up. You're going to hear people are really, really good and they're actually just, they just need to to have people stop Keeping them from being what their inner child wants to be You're going to hear These people are awful And there's no helping them The truth is We're all sinful We, we, We can run our own failures through this Why did I fail in that way? Well, people are sinful And in need of salvation These are the truths that have both been given to us and find their answer in Christ for thousands of years. And they are what we must hold to. Let's bow our heads.